Hi there, and welcome to Power Play. I'm Vashi Capellos. Tonight, they have a date. We're doing the hard work of strengthening health care and making sure that we all live up to the promise of this country. The Prime Minister will meet with Canada's premiers next month in Ottawa to hash out a health care deal. How much more money could flow to provinces? And what will they have to do to get that money? We'll ask the minister in charge of Ottawa's relationship with provinces, Dominic Lebon. Then Manitoba's premier, Heather Stephenson, is here. And on the heels of the Bank of Canada's eighth interest rate hike, the bank's governor sits down with CTV. Inflation's come down. We expect it's going to continue to come down. And if it comes down in line with our forecast, we've done enough. Does Tiff Macklem regret not hiking rates sooner so there didn't have to be so many? Our Ottawa Bureau Chief, Joyce Napier's exclusive sit-down with the Bank of Canada's governor is coming up. Plus, the Prime Minister faces protests at his cabinet meeting in Hamilton. We'll take a look at what's behind them and his reaction to their message just ahead. But first... It'll be a good moment for us to gather, but we're not going to be signing deals on that particular moment. It'll be about uh, starting the very direct hard work of uh, the bilateral uh, arrangements that will happen with every province, while at the same time we move forward uh, with a frame around data and health information and, uh, uh, and results uh, that I think every Canadian wants to see. That was Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announcing his invitation to premiers to meet February 7th in Ottawa. The long-awaited and highly anticipated First Minister's meeting on health comes after health ministers failed to reach a deal late last year. And of course, as Canada's health care system reaches crisis levels from coast to coast to coast, what will the feds and provinces do to address that? Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc oversees the relationship with provinces. He's with us live now. Hi, Minister. Good to see you as always. Thanks for making the time. Hi, Vashi. Good evening. Uh, I spoke with Heather Stephenson, and the interview is going to air in just a few minutes. She's the Premier of Manitoba, heads up what's known as the Council of the Federation. And she says that your government has not provided the provinces with any specific proposal at all on what you will be doing when it comes to funding, for example, and that the provinces have not folded on the idea of not attaching strings to money. Is that true? I had a very good conversation with Premier Stephenson a week ago and again last evening, Vashi, and a number of her colleagues as well, as did the Prime Minister last evening. Um, that is precisely the conversation that we want to have with them in a collaborative and respectful way uh, in less than two weeks in Ottawa. We're optimistic that there's much more in common uh, than there might be in terms of differences. That's why we hope and believe that we can quickly arrive at the right agreements to improve the healthcare system for Canadians. Your introduction talked about the strain, the pressure on the healthcare systems across the country. You're absolutely right. We know that. The premiers know that. More importantly, Canadians know that. So we think it'll be a constructive and positive meeting. And we have no reason to think that what the prime minister will lay out for the premiers on the 7th of February can't form the basis of a, we hope, a quick process to arrive at those agreements. Let me just be clear, though, because a few months ago, I remember speaking to uh, multiple ministers, representatives of the federal government who said, look, before the prime minister meets in person, after the premiers had been pleading for that meeting for months, before he meets in person with the premiers, there's got to be some agreement on accountability attached to any new money that will flow from the federal government to the provinces. 
Premier Stephenson is saying they have not agreed to to that accountability yet. Is she wrong? Is she right? Like, I'm, I'm confused. I just want to be clear for Canadians. Yeah. So, I mean, Premier Stephenson uh, speaks for the province of Manitoba and the Council of the Federation. Uh, you've also seen a number of premiers over the last number of weeks uh, publicly say that uh, reporting better data to Canadians on the results of their public health care systems. And if the government of Canada is going to increase our investments, it's reasonable that Canadians should see the better outcomes, the better results, the easier accessibility, whatever the particular metrics that is causing the concern you spoke about. Canadians should be able to see in a transparent way those results. Uh, we think that the provinces uh, will want to collaborate on that. The Prime Minister and I and Mr. Duclos are confident that that is the basis of the conversation that we can have with them on the 7th of February. So uh, we, we, don't, we don't want to be technical. There is no agreement. Premier Stephenson is right. But as we've also said, we believe there's sufficient common ground now or uh, a sufficient sort of convergence of priorities, shared priorities, that we hope the meeting on the 7th of February can be the beginning of an expedited and successful a trip to get an agreement or a series of agreements with different provinces, with all the provinces, that will improve the public health care system. So uh, one is not in contradiction to the other. The 7th of February is an important, we think, part of getting to that agreement uh, that all of us want to achieve in, in collaboration and constructively together. Does expedited mean, in, in layman's terms, that you anticipate an agreement will be reached prior to the tabling of a budget, of the federal budget? That would certainly be our hope, Vashi. I said that last summer, that uh, if we can get to the right agreement for Canadians, for the patients of the healthcare system, for the men and women who are working in the healthcare system, all of those people and all of us want to improve the system. So why wouldn't we try and do that work quickly and collaboratively together. Uh, in, a, in a good scenario, we would leave the meeting on the 7th uh, of February in Ottawa and quickly work with the provinces and territories to finalize what would be those agreements, as the Prime Minister said earlier today. And that would allow our government to book in our budget this spring uh, those increased investments. And the provinces are also in the process of doing their own budget processes for next year. Um, and they too, and they've said it to me and to the Prime Minister, they too will want to know what that number is on the line in terms of federal health care investment. So we all have a reason to do this as quickly and collaboratively as possible. I'm glad you, you brought up that dollar figure, because if I recall, I attempted to ask you last week exactly what it would be. I know you're not going <laughs> to reveal that. But but I did listen well, very closely again, to yourself. You'll try it again, yeah, I'll, I'll keep trying until I get it, actually. No, but I, I in, in all seriousness, I did listen very closely yesterday to the finance minister, the associate finance minister, a number of your colleagues who were very specifically saying that the fiscal room within which your government has to maneuver because, the because of the possibility of a recession and depleted revenues has been reduced uh, and that there will be hard choices that have to be made. Was that message specifically directed at the premiers? No, no, I don't think it was directed at the Premier's Vashi. Uh, that is a, a reasonable conclusion. The government's fiscal position in light of some of the economic uncertainty uh, that we've seen in recent months, uh, obviously the concern around inflation, what that means 
for the Canadian economy. All of those uncertainties make the government's fiscal position uh, less certain than it may have been three years ago or five years ago. There's also COVID, uh, which allowed the government of Canada to massively increase transfers to Canadians and to provinces in the magnitude, as you've heard, of 70 plus billion dollars to provinces alone around the fight against COVID. So the government of Canada has been very generous. But and our fiscal situation, as the Minister of Finance discussed with our cabinet uh, yesterday, uh, is is in a, a different position than it may have been some years ago. But that being said, investing wisely in strengthening the public right. health care system in the country is a priority. And we're prepared to make the investments necessary in spite of the fiscal circumstance because it is a priority for our government. So the premiers can come to Ottawa knowing uh, that we're ready to make the necessary investments that will get the outcomes that all of us want, um, but the fiscal circumstance of okay. the government of Canada, and in some cases as, prepared, as compared to provinces, is different than it might have been a year ago or five years ago. Okay, and just finally, I'm running out of time, but, but on that point, if the message then therefore is not directed at, at uh, premiers, and from, from your answer there, I read that it will not be limiting the fiscal, uh, fiscal the reduced fiscal room will not be limiting on the amount uh, transferred to provinces, that, then who is that message directed at? Is it the NDP and does it mean Pharmacare is off the table? So uh, I, I wouldn't say it, it, it means that there's no limit on the government's fiscal ability in terms of transferring money to the provinces. What I said is we'll have to make difficult choices in terms of priorities. And the good news is strengthening the public health care system is a priority. So we'll have the fiscal ability to do uh, with the provinces what we think is necessary. But the, the government, and you'll see this in the budget in the spring, Vashi, the government is going to have to make some difficult choices around priorities. We did commit with the NDP to a series of uh, 27 precise commitments in the supply and confidence agreement. Obviously, we will respect and implement every one of those commitments, but the government's ability to do things outside of that, uh, of that particular arrangement will necessarily have to be weighed against the financial position we're in now. Okay, Minister, I'm out of time. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Intergovernmental Affairs Thank Minister you, Dominic Thanks, LeBlanc. Thank you. Coming up in a few minutes, Manitoba's premier and the head of the group of premiers, Heather Stephenson, will be here for the provincial perspective. First, though, another big story on our watch this evening. The Bank of Canada is hiking its key interest rate by 25 basis points to 4.5 percent. That's the highest it's been in 15 years. And it's also the eighth hike in a row since last March. That might, however, be it. If inflation projections hold steady, the central bank is signaling it will press pause on those hikes to assess the full impact of them on the economy. CTV News' Parliamentary Bureau Chief Joyce Napier spoke exclusively with the Bank of Canada's Governor, Tiff Macklem, about that. Take a listen. We know that the effects of those interest rate increases, they're still feeding through the economy. We, you know, we, as you said, inflation's come down. We expect it's going to continue to come down. And if it comes down in line with our forecast, we've done enough. And Joyce Napier is here for more on that conversation with the Bank of Canada's governor. Hey, Joyce, not an inherently political guy, but he has been in the middle of political crosshairs for, for really the last year, both on the left and in the right. I know you pressed him on that and, and the credibility issues around the bank and his role. What did he have to say on that? Well, this is interesting because, you know, he 
was criticized for waiting maybe a little bit too long before increasing those rates. We're practically at zero percent, right? So people were getting money for nothing, uh, quite frankly. So, um, so people were spending, obviously, um, you know, that contributed to, uh, to inflation. Um, and, and his second mistake was, and then having to do eight increases in 10 months, which is unprecedented for the bank. Uh, in all its history, it never did this so fast. And, and so will that in itself create inflation? So no, he, he, he didn't really want to answer that. He, you know, he doesn't have a crystal ball, he said, and we knew that already. Um, if he did, he would have gotten it right, first of all. And, um, he, he did not want to admit that, yeah, maybe we should have started it earlier, uh, increasing these rates. Um, you know, he's, he, he doesn't want to be, uh, political. He doesn't want to talk about the politics out there. And you said it. I mean, he became, you know, sort of this political tennis ball mm-hmm. between the right and the left. Um, you know, it, 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 today, Pierre Poilievre even said, the Trudeau government increased the rate by a quarter percentage point. It isn't the Trudeau government. It is the Bank of Canada. They are two separate things. Um, so, you know, he sees that the, the bank now is kind of being criticized. And it's not only the criticism, it's the credibility of the bank. And you notice that for the first time, he said that they were going to release, actually, some of those deliberations right. that happened before they increased their rate. So is he feeling the pressure. What did he have to say? Well, he said no, that they were still I very we, transparent. We have, we a, have clip, a clip, right? So let's, listen to what he has listen, to say. Yeah. When circumstances changed, as soon as we saw the momentum in inflation, we did move forcefully. We raised rates rapidly. Uh, it's working, and it's working. Um, we are trying to balance the risks of over-tightening and under-tightening. But one of the the, the reason that we raised rates so rapidly, so forcefully last year, was really try to, to try to avoid the need for even higher rates in the future. That's really interesting. I know that there's a lot more of this, and I think we can catch the full, more of the interview, at least tonight on CTV National. And then you're sticking around because you're part of our front bench panel tonight, and we're all going to be talking about that interview. Thanks. Great. Thanks a lot, Joyce. CTV's uh, Parliamentary Bureau Chief Joyce Napier with an exclusive interview uh, with Canada's, with the Bank of Canada's governor. And as, as I said, the front bench will be here. Joyce, Carlene Varian, Gary Marr, and Melanie Richet will be talking about that, as well as the healthcare deal. Throughout the Prime Minister's cabinet retreat in Hamilton, Ontario, he's been followed by protests. CTV's Ian Wood has the latest from Hamilton on that. It seems these days, wherever the Prime Minister goes, there's often a contingent of so-called Freedom Convoy protesters there to greet him. And that was no exception at this week's cabinet retreat here in Hamilton, where protesters camped out front the hotel the Prime Minister, his cabinet and entire staff were staying at for several evenings this week. They even surrounded the restaurant the Prime Minister was dining at last night. As he left, it appeared the protesters swarmed him, forcing his security detail to usher him into the safety of the hotel. Now, Hamilton police say that there were about 100 protesters that uh, descended on the downtown last night, launching fireworks at the hotel behind me, honking horns and waving flags. But despite all that, there were no arrests made and no tickets issued. Now, the prime minister this morning took the opportunity to respond to the protests and the protesters, calling them a handful of angry people that do not represent democracy in this country. 
it's really, really important in our democracy that people can express their disagreement or displeasure or even anger uh, with uh, various governments. That's really important. Uh, and at the same time, our uh, police services and institutions will ensure uh, that those, uh, those protests remain uh, peaceful and law-abiding. Now, a year after the convoy protests rolled into Ottawa, the flags and the horns may be the same, but the numbers are significantly reduced. Still, Vashi, there's no signs that these types of protests will stop anytime soon. CTV's Ian Wood in Hamilton. Coming up, we're going to turn back to our top story, the prospects for a health care deal between the feds and provinces. Manitoba's Premier Heather Stephenson is next. There will be elements of uh, what we're working on that will be uh, a, an agreement with the entire country. One thinks of how data is collected, how data is shared as being something that there needs to be harmonization on. <clears throat> but there are also lots of elements that are different from one province to the next. The Prime Minister has officially extended an invite to Premiers to meet with him in Ottawa. On the agenda, one thing, striking a health care deal. Premiers have been pleading for this meeting for months, so why now? I spoke to Manitoba's Premier and Chair of the Council of the Federation, Heather Stephenson, earlier. Hi, Premier. Good to have you with us. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, great to be here. Uh, Premier, I wanted to start off and ask, now that the meeting date has been set, can you confirm that all the Premiers will be in attendance? Yeah, we are having a meeting on Friday. I'm, uh, I haven't uh, spoken to all of them yet, but we'll have that discussion on, on Friday at our, uh, yeah, we're having a conference call on Friday to discuss this further. Do you have any reason to believe that, that anyone wouldn't come? Like, well, you will no. be there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> okay. Um, and then on, on the, I feel like there's been a ton of back and forth on how soon a deal could be arrived at. Is the way in which the Prime Minister characterized things today that it's a meeting to, you know, further negotiate versus sign a deal accurate from your perspective? Yeah, you'll know, Vashi, I mean, we've been asking for this for quite some time now as uh, premiers across the country. And just to be able to have that opportunity to sit down with the prime minister, we think, you know, Canadians expect us as politicians, different levels of government to sit down and have these discussions about, uh, you know, a, a, an issue as important as health care across the country. So I think that this is great news today. I was great. I was very happy to receive the uh, letter from the prime minister calling for a first minister's meeting on February 7th. And uh, again, I think that that will be an opportunity for us to see a proposal uh, from the federal government. We haven't seen anything yet. So it'll be a great opportunity for us to sit down and start that dialogue. So when you say you haven't seen anything yet, um, let me ask you some more about that, because my impression has been listening to federal ministers that there have been negotiations of sorts going on behind the scenes to agree to, for example, what conditions might be placed on any money that's transferred, what kind of metrics or data would be submitted. Can, can you expand on that? Like, has the government said, we'll give you X amount of dollars a year if you do this, or has it not even gotten to that point? It has not gotten to that point at all. A lot of those discussions are being had through the media and not through um, our officials or not even through us as elected officials. So, 
Um, we again look forward to sitting down and having that conversation and starting that dialogue on February 7th. That's why we have been pushing this meeting for some time now is to ensure that we can sit down and start having that dialogue so it stops you know, going through the media when we're sitting down across the table and having these discussions for, for Canadians. So just to be clear, between the time prior to Christmas, I think the last time I interviewed you, mm -hmm. uh, when you, I think it was right at the beginning of December when the premiers were calling for a meeting. Between then and now, have you had a conversation with your federal counterpart that would amount to movement on a potential agreement? You know, I've had uh, a couple of discussions with uh, Dominique LeBlanc, um, and but more just on on sort of process. There's nothing uh, ever about um, that's been put on the table uh, in the way of a proposal at all. So again, we look forward to seeing that. So, do you think the characterization that's being put forth by some other premiers, including you know, I interviewed New Brunswick's premier Blaine Higgs mm -hmm. over the weekend. He said a deal could be weeks away. Uh, do you think that characterization or the federal government saying one is close is inaccurate? No, I, I, think, I, I think there is hope for sure. And for the first time we are able to sit down, I just wouldn't want to give you know, false ex expectations that on February 7th we're going mm -hmm. to have a deal. I mean, that's a start of a dialogue and uh, we'll continue to do that. And, and I think it'll move as, as quickly as uh, all the parties involved want it to. Uh, on that note, on that metric, um, I remember again in that interview prior to Christmas, you and some of your counterparts, to be fair, were very adamant that there, there would be no strings accepted prior to meeting with the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister had basically said, look, they have to agree to these conditions before I'll have this meeting. Should, should Canadians read into the fact that this meeting is happening, that, that you and your provincial counterparts folded? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, we've had no discussions like that whatsoever with the Prime Minister or any of his officials at all. Um, we have, as you know, Vashi, just been calling on the, the Prime Minister to call a First Minister's meeting. Now he has, and so now we can start that dialogue. I have to respectfully challenge you, Premier, because I've spoken again to Premier Houston. I've listened to Premier uh, Ford give press conferences, uh, Premier Higgs, Premier Moe. All of them have said that now there is more alignment on the things that the federal government wanted provinces to do. Are you an outlier? No, not at all. And uh, what you're talking about and what my, uh, what my colleagues have been talking about is, is answering questions surrounding accountability. And of course, we are all accountable uh, for the, health, the delivery of healthcare services when each, within each of our jurisdictions. And so we're all saying the same thing. I think we all wanna sit down and uh, we're anxious to, to move forward on the file, uh, but we're also anxious to see a proposal, a tangible proposal from the federal government. And we're looking forward to seeing that on February 7th. And I do wanna ask you what you consider tangible in a second, but just on the point of um, you know, written down. Okay, that, got that. But but on the Something. point on the point of what you're willing to acquiesce on. Uh, again, I just want to be clear because you're saying that um, you know you're accountable to Manitobans, for example. What the federal government is asking for is not necessarily that. It's also submitting data so that really provinces are accountable to the federal government and Canadians more largely. And Canadians have the ability to to access data that could. Uh, that could help them compare outcomes in different provinces, for example. Is that something that you've agreed to? Well, again, Vashi, no, I, I haven't seen a proposal from the federal government at all. 
And so uh, these are things that uh, have been thrown around uh, in the media and discussions that have taken place through the media. That is not the way that Canadians want us to sit down and, and discuss and, and uh, you know, the future of our health care system. I don't think they want us doing it through the media. They want us to sit down and do this uh, uh, at the table where we can all uh, express um, our views and our points of view at that table. And that's why it's so important that we are getting to that table now. Um, I think this is a positive step uh, forward on, on the part of the Prime Minister for calling this meeting. Of course, we've been asking for it for some time, but that's the table where uh, we'll start to have those deliberations and those discussions. Uh, to, to be clear, though, are, is your point of view that that accountability at the federal level is not something that you would agree to? Again, I have no problem for, you know, about when it comes to accountability. Um, and none of us do, uh, again, in our various jurisdictions across the country. Uh, we are accountable every day to, to Canadians within our jurisdictions. And uh, we'll continue to do that. But again, um, I, I'm not going to comment on anything uh, because I haven't seen anything yet. And mm -hmm. so we will be able to make those, those, uh, those comments after we see what their proposal is and, and uh, after we deliberate amongst ourselves. On the point of the proposal and what you would consider tangible or, or feasible, I know that the provinces have asked to an increase that would amount to something like $28 billion a year. I've seen no signals from the federal government that they're willing to go that high, but certainly they, they have acknowledged that there needs to be more money put on the table. Is it fair to ask that much of the government when uh, the Conservative government in Manitoba has a history, not this year, but in previous years, of making substantial cuts to health care? We have not made any cuts to health care whatsoever in Manitoba. That is absolutely false, not factual whatsoever. In 2019, and, uh, uh, the, the no. government budgeted about $100 million less for health care than the previous year. The 2018 budget included an increase in health spending of less than 1%, which of course Between doesn't do Between 2016 and now, inflation. since we first took over government, there's more than a billion dollars more in our health care system uh, than there was back then under the previous government. So those are the facts. Uh, but what I will say is that it's incredibly important, again, for us to sit down at that table. We have indicated what our proposal is, and now the Prime Minister has indicated that he's ready to sit down at the table and indicate to us what their proposal is, and then we have discussions about that. So, do you think again, I think this is a positive thing, and, I, and I'm looking forward to having those discussions. Do you think that, your, that provinces will be on the receiving end of $28 billion a year? Do you think that's... I hope so. <laughs> but do, do you think realistically, given the the possibility of a recession, for example, and depleted federal revenues, that it's realistic? Listen, um, we've got our proposal on the table. We'll look forward to seeing their proposal, and then we'll have those discussions moving forward. Okay, Premier Stephenson, I'm going <laughs> to leave it there. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Vashi. Take care. Manitoba's Premier Heather Stephenson there, and the front bench is here soon to weigh in on what the Premier had to say. First, though, a roundup of the top political stories of the day. The list is next. Welcome back to Power Play on this Wednesday evening. Time for the list, a roundup of what's happening in politics today. The I'm U.S. will send 31 Schultz Abrams tanks. German Leopard 2 tanks. Oh, we'll take and will lead first. an effort to organize a European contribution of two tank battalions for Ukraine. I want to thank the Chancellor for his leadership and his steadfast commitment to our collective efforts to support Ukraine. 
Germany has really stepped up. The Chancellor has been a strong, strong voice for unity, a close friend, and for the level of effort we're going to continue. So as you heard there, the U.S. will send 31 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. President Biden made the announcement just after Germany agreed to send their Leopard 2 tanks and also give the green light for other countries to export them. Biden says that those Abrams are among the most powerful tanks, and it'll take months, though, to get them to Ukrainian troops. You're looking at the prime minister now because he was also asked about whether Canada will export some of its Leopard 2 tanks. Here's what he said. Or actually, we don't have the clip, but I can tell you what he said. He actually didn't say that they would be sending them. He said there is no news at this point, but pledged to continue supporting Ukraine. The European Court of Human Rights, meanwhile, will hear a Dutch case against Russia over the downing of flight MH17 back in 2014. All 298 people on the Malaysia Airlines flight from Amsterdam were killed when it was shot down by Moscow-backed Ukrainian separatists. The Dutch government is arguing Russia played a key role in the disaster and violated the human rights of victims' families with disinformation following the downing. A guilty finding could force Russia to pay damages to those families. A Quebec woman accused of mailing poison to former U.S. President Donald Trump has pleaded guilty and agreed to a nearly 22-year prison sentence. 55-year-old Pascal Ferrier was arrested at a U.S. border crossing back in September of 2020. She was charged with sending a letter to Trump which contained lethal poison. That letter was intercepted and never reached the White House. She's also pleaded guilty to eight other charges related to similar offenses against law enforcement officials in Texas. And this morning, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau addressed allegations against Housing Minister Ahmed Hussein. Global News first reported that Minister Hussein's office awarded $93,000 in communications contracts to a firm with ties to a staffer in his office. Have a listen. I think it's extremely important uh, that uh, all politicians and all members of parliament and all ministers continue to look uh, for whatever ways they can uh, to connect with constituents to share uh, in our priorities and to make sure we're listening and, and uh, learning from constituents and serving them well. Uh, it's important, of course, that people follow all the rules, uh, and that's what we'll continue to ensure. We reached out to Minister Hooson's office, and they gave us a statement that reads in part on these accusations. Due to the contract, a ministerial staff disclosed a personal relationship to the Office of the Conflict of Interest and Ethics Commissioner. The Conflict of Interest and Ethics Commissioner's Office advised that there is no conflict of interest. The Office of the Minister takes its obligations regarding ethics seriously, and all of the rules were followed accordingly. We are going to take a quick commercial break here on Power Play, but on the other end of that break, the front bench will be here to weigh in on whether or not there's a health care deal coming next month. Carlene Varian, Gary Marr, Melanie Richet, and Joyce Napier. There they are. They're back in just two minutes here on Power Play. Stay with us. Our hope very much is after the meeting on the 7th of February uh, to quickly conclude these agreements that we think will be in the interest of improving the public health care system for the long term. Uh, and then everybody is in the budget process. I think we all want to sit down and uh, we're anxious to, to move forward on the file. Uh, but we're also anxious to see a proposal, a tangible proposal from the federal government. 
Is it healthcare deal make or break time? The prime minister has invited the premiers to Ottawa for a healthcare meeting on February 7th. The big question, will this be the meeting to bring uh, together a healthcare deal to bring it over the finish line? Let's bring in the front bench panel to weigh in on that. Joining me this evening, CTV News' parliamentary bureau chief, Joyce Napier, former chief of staff to Jim Carr, Carlene Varian. She's an associate vice president with Summa Strategies. Former Alberta MLA and Cabinet Minister Gary Marr is here. He's the president and CEO of the Canada West Foundation. And former communications director to Jagmeet Singh, Melanie Richet. She now works at Earnscliff Strategy. Hi, everybody. Strategies, rather. Good to see you this evening. Uh, Carlene, I'm going to start with you. I, I feel like a week ago, everyone was like, it's coming in a few weeks. And then the interviews I, I did today and the other things I've heard, it's like, uh, okay, there's actually nothing concrete on the table at this point. Do you think, though, there will be on February 7th and it'll be a quick jaunt across the finish line after that? I don't think it's ever necessarily been a question of something concrete being there or not there on the table so much as a question of political will. And if you ask me, Trudeau and the Liberals are probably exactly where they had imagined that they would be end game on this, even going back six months. Um, I think they knew that they had uh, the upper hand in terms of what the prime minister was calling for was something that most Canadians generally agreed with, which is I'm not going to write a blank check to the provinces unless I get some assurances that I'm going to see improvements in access to doctors, access to nurses, mental health care, all of these things. Um, and although the premiers have huffed and puffed, um, run expensive billboard campaigns all across the country in this fight, uh, lo and behold, we've sort of seen the premiers plucked off one by one as they've started to say, OK, well, we are willing to negotiate. No more of this no strings attached approach. Um, so I do think that, that the prime minister and his team, who are all pretty well proven uh capable negotiators, folks like Dominic LeBlanc, um, the health minister Duclos, and even Christopher Freeland, um, I think they're, they're, they're pretty primed to uh, go into that meeting on the 7th to support the prime minister and get a deal across the finish line. Gary, from what you've been hearing and, and, and listening to from all the vested parties, what do you think the biggest risk is right now uh, sort of posited against the prospect of it getting across the finish line? Well, uh, I've spoken with uh, three premiers recently on this subject, and of course I've heard the commentaries of uh, Minister LeBlanc and uh, Premier Ford and Premier Legault. Uh, Premier Legault was health minister at the time that uh, I was health minister, and you know, the last big time uh, first ministers met on health care was in 2005 with Prime Minister Martin. Uh, I was there representing the, uh, the Alberta government at that time. I, I think one of the concerns is that uh, that it just boils down to money. If it's just about money, then I'm not sure that we'll be able to fix some of the fundamental issues within the healthcare system. Um, and I've heard Premier, uh, you know, uh, Premier Ford talk about, you know, the need for, um, you know, accountability. I don't think anybody's suggesting otherwise, but I've also heard uh, Premier Stephenson say, look, the needs in each and every province are going to be a little bit different. The, you know, the if you look at the uh, the dynamics of the population uh, and and the size of the populations in certain provinces, it, it just won't be possible to um, have, um, you know, the same kind of services in each and every part of the country. So, for example, pediatric cardiac surgery, there's not enough cases to be able to do that in the province of Saskatchewan. So it makes sense, hopefully, that the premiers will also get together and say, look, there are things that we can do in one province uh, on behalf of another province 
Um, and uh, we can have some coordination and we need coordination on the health resources that the human capital, the number of doctors and nurses uh, that are trained in our system to make sure that as we expand, as the demand increases, uh, we'll be able to meet the human capital requirements of doing that. Uh, Melanie, I think as I listen to the federal government, most especially right now, and you would know this having worked, you know, so closely with a, a political leader, I, my gut says if if you would not be saying this is going to be expedited after February seventh, if you didn't really think there was going to be a deal before the budget. Totally, and and I think you can appreciate that that you wouldn't put your guy in the room until you thought that there was a deal that was coming. I do think, though, in the meantime, I think it was maybe sending the wrong message to Canadians. It's been over two years that the premiers have been asking for the prime minister to come to. The table. Former Premier Horgan said it forever. out loud yeah, forever, every time he could, and, and kept mentioning how it was a lack of leadership to come to the table. Now, of course, you don't put your guy at the table until you know that something is coming. So that signals, I think, to most Canadians that something is coming soon. Um, I would say that with this meeting finally on the docket, people will be looking for something to happen quickly uh, because they're tired of the, the football being passed back and forth between the premiers and the prime minister for sure. I've got just about a minute left, Joyce, but last word to you. Do you have any doubt this thing gets across the finish line? I know you've been covering it all week. Months, well, no, actually. I, I think it will get across the finish line, but I, I think there's so many mixed signals. But, you know, to your point about, well, there's finally political will. Hello, really? Uh, it, 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 it just boggles the mind that they're still talking about this when we know this is an emergency and they're going back and forth on, so what if there are strings attached? Just say yes. You know, just say, yeah, we're going to spend it on this. What's wrong with transparency? All of a sudden, they don't want to be transparent. It just, it is, think about it for two seconds. If Canadians sit back and think about what's going on right now with the back and forth, they're going to go, really? Did we vote for these people? And, you well, know, feels, are they ever yeah. going to fix this? It feels like they read, all of them kind of read the room, that every Canadian was like, hey, you know what? My kid exactly. can't get in for their surgery. This yeah. is a problem. That's the political will. I think right. it's the political fire under their collective, yeah. you know what? So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on that, on that. No, we'll take a quick commercial break. On the other end of that break, we're going to talk to Joyce and the front bench about her exclusive interview with Governor of the Bank of Canada, Tiff Macklem, and some of the political follow for this eighth consecutive rate hike. Back in a moment here on PowerPoint. We're not talking about cutting interest rates yet. That That is something really to be thinking about you know, well into the future. Uh, what we're talking about today is whether we've done enough. But at some point, when inflation has come down, when the economy uh, is rebalanced, yes, it will be time to start thinking about uh, lowering interest rates a little But We're not there yet today. This is the eighth increase in less than a year. In fact, rates are now 16 times, the Bank of Canada rate is 16 times higher than it was a year ago. Uh, why? Well, the cost of government is driving up the cost of living. Some of the political reaction there to the Bank of Canada's decision to hike rates by uh, 25 basis points this morning, their key lending rate. Uh, that brings uh, the total rate, to, as you can see on the screen there, 4.5 percent. That's the highest it's been, uh, that key rate, since uh, 2007, I think it is, so about 15 years. Uh, that interview you saw with the Bank of Canada's governor was uh, exclusively conducted by uh, CTV News' Parliamentary Bureau Chief, rather, Joyce Napier. She's here for the Front Bench panel alongside Carlene Varian. 
Hamilton, Gary Marr, and Melanie Richet. Joyce, I'm going to start with you because the most, I mean, five years ago, I'm not sure the interest in the Bank of Canada's yeah, governor was exactly <laughs> where it is now, if it would be the substance of a, a political panel. But but it is highly political, as you heard there. Uh, the leader of the Conservatives made it a plank of his leadership campaign to say he should be fired and that the bank's actions uh, were wrong throughout all of this. How is the Bank of Canada's governor fielding that criticism from your vantage point after your interview? Well, he was kind of skirting it because he was asked, I, you know, I asked him, did you wait too long to start increasing those rates? He started in in, in March mm-hmm. and had to do eight in, in 10 months, which is unprecedented, obviously, for this for this bank. Um, also, he said the inflation would be what transitory was the word he used. It's not transitory. Uh, so, you know, he he. He made some mistakes. He, he acknowledges that, you know, you, you can't always get it right. Um, but, you know, it was good news, bad news today, right? The, the good news, he says, we, we think we have turned a corner. We, we're going to pause this, this like sort of increases mm-hmm. practically every month. Um, and let's see what happens. I'm sure there's a lot of disappointed people out there who thought that he would have already paused it because it doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it means a lot. A quarter of a percentage point is a lot still. So, you know, it, and it will affect millions and millions of people. And, and he understands that. Um, I, I, we, I asked him, so when are you going to start cutting? Where do you have to see yeah, it? The, the interest there, rates yeah. went from 8.1 to 6.3. Right. The, the inflation, sorry. Was, is this enough? Is this fast enough for you? How fast does it have to go? He didn't want to answer. So right. we still don't know what it is. But for now, he's pausing. How many months? If, in fact, Melanie, the the interest rates are paused and we don't see and, and that is because inflation continues its its downward track. Mm-hmm. Do you think it blunts the subject as a, a political hot potato? I don't think so, because like Joyce said, this is really going to hurt people. I had a friend of mine tell me in September that in a year he was paying $1,000 more on his mortgage. Most people can't afford that. Mm -hmm. They are looking towards um, every single penny that comes in going and adding to their mortgage payments. So if we're in a recession, which experts are saying is likely to happen and people lose their jobs, that's even worse. So... Um, right now, the only tool really that's being used to fight inflation is the interest rates, which um, the NDP has pointed out that the government actually has tools that they can use to um, lessen the burden being more or being carried by Canadians. Again, it's always the same folks who carry the burden of different crises. And right now it's families who are paying exorbitant mortgage fees um, carrying this this inflation crisis. I, I think the interesting part in, in just listening to all the criticism, the clip, Gary, from Pierre Polyev, the criticism from the NDP, I, I can't remember a time. And I mean, it's central banks around the world, but especially in Canada, where this sort of apolitical figure, an apolitical institution has become so highly politicized and in the middle of kind of a political crossfire. Do you see any end to that in the near future, Gary? Well, you know, it's uh, it's a really, really good observation to make, Vashi, that this is not just the governor of the Bank of Canada. This is uh, central bankers uh, uh, in other parts of the world. And I think it highlights the fact uh, that good public policy is not always popular politics. And, uh, you know, the Bank of Canada has a limited number of tools uh, to achieve its mandate of trying to drive inflation into a 2% range. Now, you don't want zero inflation, but you want a small amount of inflation. Uh, and that's okay. But what I think uh, Tiff Macklem is signaling with this eighth increase is that you really need to have uh, your monetary policy in line with your fiscal policy. And uh, I think that uh, he has expressed uh, that 
uh, he doesn't have much confidence in the federal government's ability to try and control its spending. And so uh, if you continue to spend as a federal government, uh, what happens is you put more money into the system that's chasing the same number of goods, and that's part of what drives inflation. So your monetary policy uh, expressed through interest rates and your fiscal policy expressed by your government spending have to be consistent with one another in order to have a real impact uh, on, uh, on, on, on inflation that is uh, uh, hurting Canadians so much right now. What's so interesting, Carlene, is exactly what, what Gary just spelled out in a very measured way has become, again, a source of a lot of political consternation in probably a less measured way and, and, and from different perspectives, right? I mean, it's interesting to hear the Liberals now say they have to exercise a lot of fiscal prudence because they're not supposed to make the bank's job any harder. At the same time, you've got uh, Pierre Polyev saying not that that the, the spending is part of what drove inflation, but that it is all of what, what drove inflation. And I'm wondering if you think... Um, regardless of sort of the fact check on that, yeah. it, it is a vulnerability for the feds. Well, I, I think it's a very dangerous game for somebody who hopes to one day be prime minister to be playing, is, is to be sowing those seeds of doubt in uh, the capabilities of our country's central bank. I mean, in countries around the world and democracies around the world, the independence of the central bank from the government of the day is something that is held as sacred. Um, and there's a very good reason for that. And central bankers have a difficult job. I don't think anybody envies Tiff Macklin or other central bank governors around the world right now who are grappling with this crisis. You know, Melanie talked about housing prices and as an example. One of the reasons that central banks are feeling that pressure to continue to raise rates right now is to help temper and cool that housing market. And we are starting to see that downturn. But, but to your point about whether this is, you know, supply side driven or demand side driven, um, it really has been torqued this notion that federal government spending has caused inflation. If that were the case, Canada would be some kind of a global outlier. It's not. This is a global phenomenon. The things that are fueling this inflation crisis are all demand side. It is shortages. And you don't have to be an economist to know that. You have to be someone who's just lived the past few years. The food shortages, fuel prices going up, um, electronics, cars. There's tons of exogenous factors, true. It's, it's, it's not to the degree that, that Pierre Polydev says it does, but, but it's not nothing either. There, there is a portion of it that is driven by government spending. It's not a massive portion, no, but it's a it portion. Yeah. yeah, and the finance minister has acknowledged that, and, and she's spoken about right. how the direction that they hope to be taking things is to rein in spending in order to help kind of support the, the, the central bank's ability to sort of eventually get back toward those decreasing interest rates. And we'll see if they do that in the lead up to the budget. I had a hard time trying to get some answers on that. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. Thanks so much to our front bench, Gary Marr, Melanie Richet, Carlene Varian, and Joyce Napier. And as, as I mentioned, you can catch more of that interview, uh, that exclusive interview with Tiff Macklem a little later tonight on CTV National. I do want to leave you, though, with today's takeaway. And it's about exactly what we were just discussing. How much can the federal government spend? They have been talking the past few days at their cabinet retreat about reining in that spending, about a constrained fiscal room because of the possibility of a recession and how that would affect federal revenues. I had the opportunity to ask Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc if that message, that message about fiscal restraint was directed at premiers who are expecting more money on health care, here's his answer. Investing wisely in strengthening the public right. health care system in the country is a priority, and we're prepared to make the investments necessary in spite of the fiscal circumstance, because it is a priority for our government. 
So you heard there uh, the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs essentially say, no, that message isn't directed at premiers. There will be some constraints on the amount of money that can be invested or transferred to provinces, but it is a priority, for example, over other things that the government has promised to invest in. The question, of course, is exactly how much money it will end up being. The premiers have asked for an increase that amounts to about $28 billion a year. I asked Blaine Higgs, the premier of New Brunswick, over the weekend whether he expects that amount. He kind of chuckled and said no, but he does hope the feds come to the table with a substantial amount. We'll be tracking exactly how those talks progress throughout the next few weeks and we'll bring them bring those details to you that does it for us tonight though at power play i'll hand things over to my colleague akshay tandon have a great evening